This is The Guardian. Twenty twenty two was a bumper year for science, from smashing a spacecraft into an asteroid. Three, two, one. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. Taking a step forward in nuclear fusion. So that the fusion fuel stayed hot enough, dense enough, and round enough for long enough that it ignited and it produced more energies than the lasers had deposited. To discovering the origins of the Black Death. So now we know for sure that the Black Death actually commenced in the region of Tian Shan around 1338, 1339. So that's a major discovery of uh, my colleagues and myself. So what will this year bring? Could we get any closer to a universal flu vaccine? Watch landers touch down on the moon? Or even see MDMA approved for medicinal use. I'm The Guardian science editor Ian Sample and today on Science Weekly we're taking a look at the stories we could all be talking about in 2023. Hannah Devlin, you're a Guardian science correspondent so I'm so glad you're here to join me on this voyage into what we might see in the next 12 months. We're going to get on to space, biotechnology and AI but First off, let's start with health, which is always on our minds in January. China is in the midst of a huge wave of COVID right now. What's going on? Yeah, China's in the middle of this huge wave of COVID, prompted by a U-turn in the country's long-held zero COVID policy. So it's throughout the pandemic having incredibly strict rules on testing and self-isolation, quarantine, um, which has all been relaxed very quickly. There's two elements to this. One is the direct impact this is having in China. And we're seeing images of patients in queues outside hospitals, um, predictions of huge numbers of deaths um, as a result of this change in policy. But there's also a sort of wider concern about what this might mean for the global picture and the emergence of new variants. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that the global public health community is really spooked by the paucity of data now coming out of China. I mean, because China's changed how it defines COVID deaths, you know, now a COVID death is reported only as a COVID death if that person has a respiratory illness and dies because of it. And doctors seem to be being discouraged from putting COVID on on death certificates. So, you know, anyone who has another condition who dies because COVID exacerbates it is now really not coming through in the figures. And, you know, the, the effect's been dramatic. I mean, if you look in December, China reported only a dozen or so COVID deaths, but there was a UK data company coming up with some extraordinary figures. I mean, they, they thought that China was probably seeing more than 2 million cases a day and maybe nearly 15,000 COVID deaths per day. So I think that sort of lack of knowing what's happening in China has really freaked people out. The World Health Organization has called on China to share accurate data on coronavirus infections and deaths. It follows a sharp rise in cases after Beijing abandoned its zero COVID policy. The British government announced that all passengers traveling to England from mainland China will be required to produce a negative COVID test before boarding their flight. In the UK, we're going to start asking people arriving from China whether they want to give a swab so that that can then be checked to see if there are any interesting new variants. 
I think the surveillance is a really good idea, although whether it's going to be at the sort of scale that matters, I don't know. I mean, if you're just voluntarily asking people arriving from China whether they'll give a swab, doesn't feel to me like that would give you a great picture of what's happening there and what then might come here. And I guess we can't really take it for granted that if there is a new variant that it's going to be in China, I mean, the one that everyone's talking about now, this XBB15 variant, as far as I know, that emerged in the US. Do you think that's something that we should be keeping an eye on? It's quite an interesting one. But what's been happening over there is this variant was first detected in October. It's now making up about 40% of all COVID infections in the US. And the interesting thing is that that's against the backdrop of, you know, a pretty well vaccinated population, but also a population where a lot of the Omicron that's circulating there is pretty similar to a lot of the Omicron circulating here. And it's outcompeting those. I mean, it's spreading sort of twice as fast as BQ1, which is one of the most common variants in the UK at the moment. This one doesn't seem to cause any more severe disease. The really interesting thing about it is that it it acquired a pretty tricky to acquire mutation, which allows it not only to evade a lot of the antibodies that you can get from vaccine or previous infection, it also helps the virus to bind pretty strongly to human cells, which makes it more infectious because it can sort of latch on more strongly. So it's definitely one that we, I think we need to keep our eye on. As people flood gyms to hit their New Year's fitness goals, the virus behind COVID is getting fitter too. Early surveillance signals show an Omicron subvariant known as XBB 1.5 is rising in the US. I suppose one thing that is likely to help us is the new vaccines, which have in part been sort of spurred by the pandemic with the, the, the arrival of these new mRNA vaccines. Are there more sort of positive stories coming along on what we might see mRNA vaccines being used for in either this year or in years to come? Yeah, so I think um, one of the um, things that looks quite exciting is the possibility of a universal flu vaccine. So at the moment, pharma companies have to forecast which flu is going to be the most prevalent for the next season and then each year develop something that's going to be best match to what that's likely to be and you know some years they're well matched other years they're not so effective whereas if you had something that worked across all different strains of flu then you wouldn't have this um this kind of forecasting challenge every year and this autumn we did see something that looked incredibly promising using an mRNA vaccine. There's another trial starting this year for Epstein-Barr virus, which itself is not something that um, you probably wouldn't necessarily notice that you've been infected. It's something that infects most people. But there has been new work showing that it could be an important trigger for MS developing further down the line. Now, the exact link between the Epstein-Barr virus and MS, you know, there's a lot of work to understand that. And most people who get Epstein-Barr don't go on to get MS. But the idea that you could give a vaccine to people potentially with the aim of preventing MS in the future is quite exciting. And so there's a trial looking to see um, whether the technology can be used for that. Let's wrap up this section with mental health. Is there anything you're keeping your eyes peeled for in 2023? One thing that's really interesting is this whole area of looking at psychedelic medicines, um, you know, use of psilocybin for depression, studies looking at ketamine for addiction disorders. 
And I think one of the furthest along and, and potentially most interesting for this year is going to be a trial that's just reported on the use of MDMA, which, you know, again, we normally think of as a recreational drug to treat veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. Last week, there was quite an important result came through of a phase three trial showing positive results. And so I think we can expect now that the people behind that trial are going to be taking the drug forward in an application to the FDA to have it approved as a treatment. Hannah, it's time to launch off planet because 2023 has a fair few space stories in store for us. There's going to be a lot of hardware heading towards the moon this year, and they cover a whole range of missions. I think the classic will be India's space agency, which are going to attempt to put a lander and a rover into the highlands of the moon's South Pole. That's probably going to happen around our summer. There's also the Japanese ice space mission, which is on target to become the world's first commercial landing on the moon. That's carrying the Rashid rover from the United Arab Emirates and also a Japanese robot. So that's actually on its way already. That launched in December and is due to get to the moon in April. And then there's SpaceX testing out their Starship rocket, this huge rocket they've built, taking several civilian passengers on a kind of loop around the moon. So they won't be landing, but it's still looks to be an extraordinary mission. But despite this focus on our lunar neighbour, there are plenty of other missions afoot. What else has caught your eye, Hannah? One of the ones that um, sort of in the longer term is quite exciting is the ESA JUICE mission, which is launching in April. And, and this is going to be the first mission to explore Jupiter's moons in detail. So it's going to visit three of its large ocean moons, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto. One of the main goals really is to understand whether the oceans of these icy moons might have once been suitable habitats for life. So I think that's going to be one to watch, but you know, unfortunately we won't actually get there until 2030 or so. So it's taking off this year, but we'll have to wait a while for the science. And again, I think there's probably going to be some pretty spectacular images coming back. Talking of incredible images, we'll get more from the James Webb Space Telescope this year too, the telescope that just had everyone excited last year, right? I think one of the other exciting things for this year is one of the central aims for James Webb is to be able to look in closer detail at the atmospheres of distant planets that are going around stars outside our own solar system. And crucially, to be searching for any little signatures that could indicate life on the planet below. Keeping an eye on those results is going to be quite exciting. Yeah, and another instrument I'll be looking at is a gravitational wave detector called the Matter Wave Laser Interferometric Gravitation Antenna. Catchy. Luckily, it also <laughs> goes by the name of MIGA, M-I-G-A. Um, anyway, that's in an underground lab in France. Of course, gravitational waves are these ripples in space-time that are generated by some of the most extreme events in the cosmos, like collisions between neutron stars and black holes. So this new detector is going to be super sensitive, and it's going to add to the gravitational wave detectors we already have to sort of improve this 
completely new view of the universe we are getting, looking at these ripples in space-time coming through and passing through the Earth, hopefully explaining some things that we just we just cannot get our heads around with any other types of technology yet. Yeah, no, I agree. That's going to be absolutely fascinating. And we've gone from gravitational wave astronomy being a thing where we just detect these single events to be looking at whole populations of black holes and gazing back into the very earliest period of the universe. So yeah, I agree that it's just going to be a fascinating field to watch developing over the next few years. And what else Sid, then is on your watch list for this year? Is there anything else you're keeping your eye out for? One thing I've got my eye on is um, a follow-up of a big story from last summer, which was the news that scientists have been able to develop these embryo-like structures. They're grown from stem cells, completely bypassing the need for eggs and sperm. They used a form of mechanical womb to cultivate these cells. And we can put stem cells that are grown in the dish for many a long time. We can put them in these conditions and they self-organize alone over eight days into a whole embryo. This paper that came out from a team at the Weizmann Institute in Israel, they were doing the research with mouse cells. But I think everyone is expecting that the same group and possibly another team in Cambridge in the UK are hoping to get the same system working with human cells. That's just going to be fascinating from the point of view of the ethical challenges that it's going to pose, because you know, these things are not technically embryos, but they share a lot of the characteristics of embryos, and they don't really fall under existing laws that govern this kind of research, because you know, no one really predicted that these things would exist. But Ian, what have you got on your radar for the next few months? Well, I think one thing that's going to get a lot of attention is linked to something we saw at the end of last year. I mean, everyone, I think, had a bit of fun, maybe some fear when we saw the launch of this AI program called ChatGPT. It produces these sort of really quite convincing responses to all kinds of requests. But on this theme, the EU is due this year to set out the world's first standards on regulating particular issues in AI. And What's going to be interesting about those regulations is they're going to try to prevent the bad effects that you can definitely see with AI on people. So, you know, if you look at workplace hiring, you can have AIs going through application forms and biases can creep in at those places. I mean, biases tend to creep in all over the place with these AIs because they're basically learning off systems that humans have created and humans are inherently biased. So you need checks in place to ensure that people are not being discriminated against. And if that gets a, a kickstart this year, at least from the EU, I think that's really a really valuable step. Hannah, huge thanks for coming on and taking us through your thoughts. Just always really good to hear what you're making of things and what we should be looking out for in the year ahead. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Hannah Devlin. And that's it for today. The producer was Madeline Finlay. The sound design was by Joel Cox. And the executive producer was Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian.